Welcome to the Expat Birth Podcast, a podcast dedicated to empowering expat families as they navigate pregnancy, birth, and postpartum abroad by sharing resources and stories. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Expat Birth Podcast. I'm Chandler, your host, and today I have Chelsea with me. Chelsea is someone that I have been talking to for, I think, almost a year, um, very early on in my um, experience of starting with the Global Birth Coach, and she has just been a wealth of information and a great encouragement to me. So I'm really excited to have her on to share not one, two, but three birth stories abroad. Um, she started off in Central Asia. That's where her first two birth stories will come from. And those both, um, both of those, she had to travel internationally in order to get the care that she needed. Her last birth is in Europe, um, where they now reside. And she is able to serve Central Asian women um, through doula work and childbirth education. And I love that she uses her experiences um, from giving birth abroad to help other women um, navigate that pretty daunting experience at times. So welcome, Chelsea. Thank you so much for having me, Chandler. Yeah. Um, so if you will just give us an intro, I know I gave a kind of 30,000 foot view, but just introduce us to your family, um, to you and where these different births fell into your expat experience. Sure. So, um, yeah, like you said, my family and I uh, began our journey in Central Asia. Uh, my family and I have lived internationally for 11 years, and we moved to Central Asia, I guess it's been eight years ago now, and um, <laughs> you had asked me how long I had been in country when I became pregnant, and I actually, uh, we stepped off the plane, and two weeks later, I became pregnant with my first, mm -hmm. so it was quite an adventure, um, yeah. a little scary. Uh, we moved to a very uh, remote location in Central Asia where medical care was pretty much non-existent, and so I, um, this pregnancy just really uh, scared, honestly, because I, I, first of all, I had no idea what to expect. Um, I, these kinds of conversations weren't really normal with my family. And so I didn't really have any kind of information for, you know, what, what was about to happen. And so I remember I had, I had one book called, um, like pregnancy 411 or something like that. And I, I studied that thing cover to cover. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, I got this. I can do it. No problem. Um, my pregnancy was really, uh, ideal. I would say I feel really mm -hmm. blessed in that I, I didn't have any complications. I, um, was comfortable most of the time. And, uh, I think that was such a huge blessing. Um, and like you said, we had to travel out of country. And so at 36 weeks, um, well, let me back up. I didn't have any I didn't have any like prenatal care. Um, okay. So I that's had, how remote you were. Yeah. You that's how remote we were. Okay. We didn't have any prenatal care. I had one ultrasound at 15 weeks um, just because the doctor in the country that we were traveling to asked for uh, an ultrasound for some kind of reference um, to try and figure out a due date. And that was the only prenatal care that I had. I had prenatal vitamins. Uh, I had my family ship me some from the United States. Um, I had, um, yeah, I guess I didn't, like, I didn't have anything. I didn't have a belly band for support. I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything. And so, yeah. um, so at 36 weeks we flew, uh, to Istanbul, Turkey, where a lot of women, uh, travel to have babies. Um, I didn't really, I didn't really take the time to sort of research what my options were. Like I knew that, okay, everybody goes to this hospital and they, or that hospital and they work with this doctor or that doctor. Um, and I said, okay, I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. So that's what I'm going to do. 
Um, and from 36 weeks to 39 weeks, everything, everything was fine. I, um, had more ultrasounds in those three weeks than I had in my entire pregnancy. Um, and she was looking great. Um, our daughter and at 36 weeks, my, um, OB said, so I am leaving in like a week and a half, uh, two weeks uh, for vacation. And um, now, mind you, I'm in Turkey. I don't speak Turkish. I don't really know anybody. I'm with my husband. And she's the only doctor that I know. And she says, I'm mm. leaving. And so, uh, you know, there's somebody here in case you, you know, go into labor and I'm gone. But, you know, I haven't met this person. I don't know anything. So she says, I'm going to strip your membrane, sweep your membrane. So I said, okay, I don't know what that means, but Mm -hmm. go on. That's fine. And she does. And two days later, I go into early labor, like one o'clock in the morning. um, I start feeling contractions. They're really far apart. Um, I wait till 6 6 a.m., 7 a.m. to wake up my husband. Um, And they're just really irregular and uh, far apart. And so I call my doctor And she said, you know, come in after breakfast, no rush. So I go in at around 10 a.m. And I'm only like a centimeter dilated. Mm. And I said, okay, we're going to go ahead and start monitoring you. And uh, for the first couple of hours, like I'd sit on the monitor for 15 or 20 minutes. And then I'd get up and walk around. And then they would come in every two hours and check uh, my dilation. And I saw my doctor um, a couple hours after I came in. And um, so from like 10 o'clock in the morning until probably 1 in the afternoon, I didn't dilate at all. Um, So it had been about 12 hours since I um, first experienced any contractions. And she said, okay, well, um, I had indicated that I didn't want any kind of intervention. I didn't want medication. I didn't want Pitocin. I didn't want anything. And so she mm. was honoring that. Um, and so I think it was probably about, I'd say seven or eight o'clock that evening. She comes back and I'm four centimeters dilated and she says, okay, I think we should break your water uh, because your daughter's head isn't coming down far enough into your pelvis to like engage your cervix. Um, And she says, so if we break your water and after two hours, if you've progressed, then we'll keep going. But if you haven't, then we're going to have to do a C-section. But so she put that time clock on you before she even yeah. Broke your water. Okay. She did. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm 27 and I don't know anything. And my poor husband is doing the best he can. You know, he's playing music and he's by my side. Um, and so she broke my water and, um, I immediately feel a shift like in the contractions and the intensity of the contractions and it goes it's from like zero to 60 um and I have no idea how to handle them because yeah I mean up until then I'm only really experiencing mild contractions Mm. um and did she explain to you that breaking your water could increase that intensity or is it just kind of like we're gonna break the water to help you progress no she didn't really go into detail about that but I think like in my reading I understood that that's what would happen but like Mm -hmm. I'm like 18 hours 19 hours in and I'm like okay yeah you're not gonna recall that little piece of information yeah totally totally so it's like yeah zero to 60 I'm like I'm gonna like I'm gonna lose my cookies (laughs) like watch out people you know um and so anyway it um, it's going really fast. I can't really handle it. And, uh, the two hour mark goes by and I'm like five centimeters dilated. And at that point I'm, I feel so defeated. I'm like, I can't, like, I can't keep going. 
and so they, you know, they give me an epidural, they're prepping me for surgery. It's like, I'd say like a, I don't know, 1045 at night. And I just feel, um, horrible. Like I just, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to handle like the feeling of disappointment and not that I didn't like have a natural birth, but that I just didn't know. Like I felt so unprepared. Mm. And even though I had like read my book and watched some documentaries and talked to a couple friends, like I had no idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and my husband did the best that he could. Um, and so I, I ended up having a C-section with my first and, um, I remember hearing her cry and I remember being like really happy that she was okay. And, um, I remember looking at her and kissing her, but they didn't like, they didn't put her on my chest. They didn't, they immediately cut the cord um, they took some pictures and they immediately took her away and Sean, my husband went with her. Um, and I stayed there for like another, it was like 45 more minutes, but I remember I could feel, um, her stitching me up. And I said, I said, I can feel it. I can feel it. And so she immediately put me to sleep and oh, finished. Wow. Um, and yeah, And then I remember waking up and, you know, they're moving me to the table to wheel me into recovery. And I have no idea, like, how much time passed between when my daughter was born and when um, I saw her. Because as soon as I got back to the hospital, like, uh, back to recovery, my husband was there and, you know, they're helping me change and everything. And I'm really still out of it from the medication and then Mm. then like all of a sudden there are like seven nurses around me and um I look at my husband and he's um like in like a state of shock like I could see it on his face and they're like pressing on my uterus and all of a sudden I see my doctor who's like in her street clothes and looks like she's like had gone home and came back and I said, what's happening? And she said, you're bleeding and there's a lot of blood, but we're going to give you this pill under your tongue um, and it should help it stop. And so I, I bled a lot. Um, I don't know how much I lost. I think it was almost a liter of blood. And, um, and they like every hour or two, they would just like, like come and like try and like massage my uterus down when all they should have done is just given me my baby to breastfeed her. And that would have done the (laughs) trick. Um, but as soon as the doctor said, okay, you need to go get the baby and she needs to nurse. So her uterus contracts back down. So, um, in fact, like when they would come to massage my uterus, that was the, the most painful thing I experienced during that, um, and I can totally attest to that because that happened to me after my, like, I didn't bleed. I just had one, I passed one really large clot after my mm. C-section. And so after that, she did like, um, I think for the following three hours, every hour mm. on the hour, she came in and did like a really intense, mm. um, and it was seriously the most excruciating pain I've ever experienced. Like I was... Not- scream I was I was screaming because I was I had no ability to cope left from so long laboring so I'm sure you were kind of in the same you're just exhausted right and you and then you have this incision right that yes (laughs) you've just had major abdominal surgery and then there's this woman who doesn't speak English (laughs) you don't speak Turkish and she just comes and like is massaging your belly yeah I remember grabbing her hands at one yes. point and I just looked at her and I said, no, that's <laughs> like, what I did too. I was like, no, no more. No, no, no. And my poor <laughs> husband was like, I think he just felt helpless. Like he was yeah. like, I don't want her to do this to you anymore. Yeah. It, <laughs> yeah. No. And you, like, there's nobody explaining what's going on. And right. it's like, it's hard enough in a country where you speak the language I mean, yes, your nurses explain what's going on to you sometimes if they're not busy or 
backed up with like five other births or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a whole other thing when there's no communication because there's no ability to, because of the difference in language. And so, um, yeah. And so after I had her, um, I do remember having a really amazing meal at the hospital, um, better than any other (laughs) experience I had. (laughs) I had like a special plate and I had like these special delicious chocolate souffle balls that only I could have and my husband couldn't have. And (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome. I just remember thinking, okay, I've earned this. (laughs) Yes, for sure. And unfortunately, my family didn't get to come and my husband's family didn't get to come. And so it was a pretty lonely um, few weeks and physically incredibly challenging to recover from. It was Mm -hmm. by far the hardest, just I think because I hemorrhaged and um, the massaging and then the long labor and just if it was physically very grueling. Um, Yes. And I will say... um just for people who are listening, like you have to have a special amount of grace for yourself if you go through a long labor and end up in the C-section because there are people who have scheduled C-sections and while you're still recovering from major abdominal surgery, um, there is just a totally different level when your Mm -hmm. body has been through hours and hours of labor Mm -hmm. leading up to that abdominal surgery. And I don't think people explain that well enough and so you end up getting frustrated with yourself or just not like like am I the only woman that feels has this hard of a recovery and it's just those those you have to look at the birth experience that you had and if you've had a long labor and a c-section and maybe even like you did complications afterwards Mm -hmm. you know you need to be thinking each of those things is an extra amount of recovery time that your body needs right Right. Absolutely. And I think I, I didn't have anybody really, I mean, of course my husband's like, you know, you need to rest and, but you know, a week later, like you have to go to the consulate to apply Mm. for the passport and it's, Mm -hmm. you know, a taxi ride, a boat ride and another taxi ride there. And, um, and so I think, yeah, it, and I think through this particular experience is when I felt called to do something more because I I thought to myself, like, if I had, if I had somebody there who could speak the language, who was trained and educated and could help me understand what my options are, what I'm experiencing as normal, hey, you should wait at home instead Mm -hmm. of going to the hospital. Like, I think I personally think my, you know, my doctor told me she was stuck in your pelvis. I don't believe that. Like I look at pictures and right after she was born, it was very clear that her head was engaging my cervix because her head was a cone, you know? Oh yeah. She was coming down into my cervix. And I think, um, had I just stayed home for that? Well, first of all, if I would have just refused a sweep because sometimes Mm -hmm. a sweep works, sometimes it doesn't work. But what I later found out is, is that sometimes a sweep can just cause a prolonged first stage of labor. And mm-hmm. so I think if I would have refused that and said, I'm fine with your second person, you know, like how much worse could it have been it ended in a C-section anyway? Mm. <laughs> um, but just having that knowledge through a childbirth education class or a doula. And so in my context in Central Asia, back in the country where we lived, I, w- I wanted to serve women and I, I'm not a nurse. I have no medical training. I'm not allowed to like go to the hospital. I'm not allowed to do these things. So I'm like, what is something that I can practically do? Um, and that was to become a doula because I, you know, I could get the education. I can coach women at home and then maybe one day I could eventually serve in a hospital setting. And that was the path that we were on. Um, and then I, during that, before I actually got the training, I became pregnant with my second. Um, so first of all, um, yes. was this an, unpl- your first, was that a surprise pregnancy? No, we were trying. Oh, you we tried for just okay. a couple of months. Yeah. Okay. So just a quickly 
a quick realization to trying. Okay. And then, so how long after you had her, were you guys on a plane back to your, like your country where you were living? A month. Okay. So that's, yeah. Yeah. We were there a month before we -hmm. had her and then we left a month after that. Okay. And so uh, coming back was, it was really comforting because, you know, you, you go to, a place that's not your home. You're in a in an apartment that's not your apartment. Mm-hmm. A bed that's not your bed, and then you get to go home. And in in our context, then it was several hours on a plane, and then many, many, many hours in a car. Mm. Um, so, so like when we left to go have her, it was like fourteen hours by car. Then we spent a few days getting ready to fly and then we flew so it was a very very long arduous journey Mm -hmm. um and so yeah so it was a month after that we went back and then we were there and then when she was 22 months old I became pregnant with our second um and similar story I had no prenatal care I had one had one ultrasound at eight weeks um Mm -hmm. and then I left the country for a 20-week ultrasound and I'm sorry I forgot I did do the same in my first I left at 20 weeks for a 20-week ultrasound I was allowed to leave and go have that checkup and then come back um okay I'm sorry I forgot that part um anyway so then I became pregnant with my second with my son and same thing, 36 weeks, flew out to Istanbul a month before he was due. And I said, I want to try for a VBAC. Like, I don't want, I don't want another C-section. Um, and she was very open to that. Mm. And at 40 weeks, she uh, checked and I was like, not even a little bit dilated. And she said, you know, we need to think about a C-section. And I was like, I don't. I don't want a C-section like I want. She had done V-backs in the past, um, but she was concerned because I had hemorrhaged with the first and because it was such a long labor, she was really worried that um, it was just not going to work. And so in this particular situation, I just felt, and my husband was very supportive, but again, like I didn't have a doula. I didn't, um, I had way more education because I was in the process of becoming a doula, Mm. but I, there wasn't anybody there and I didn't know, I didn't, um, I feel like if I would have advocated for myself and said, listen, I want to go somewhere else where a VBAC is normal. I want to travel to a different country. Mm. I'll pay, like (laughs) I'll pay out of pocket if I need to. To find a place where I, you know, can have this birth um, in the way that I want to. Because after my daughter, like, the depression was real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it was yeah. – it was inc- and I mean, so many women experience postpartum depression. And I think mm-hmm. the, the physicality of losing so much blood and recovering from a C-section, all of those things, just make that. It, it it intensifies it in a way that I was not prepared for. Mm. So then with my son, with my second, I, I got off the phone with her or after our appointment and I just cried and cried and cried and cried. And I said, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. And so my husband, my husband and I prayed together and we just felt like at that time the best option was just to have a c-section because um I just uh I didn't have the team that I felt like I needed like it was just Mm. me and my husband and my doctor again again because I couldn't there was one doula um but she hadn't been like practicing in a really long time just like yeah if you need me I'll be there but she just had a lot of other things going on and so I just didn't want to press her um and so we yeah we ended up having a c-section with my son and 
and then we returned to the States for just a few months, um, for like six months. Um, so we left from Turkey and went to the States and about four months after I had, um, incredible postpartum depression, just Mm. like suicidal thoughts and like well beyond the baby blues and Mm -hmm. went to the doctor and he said, you have postpartum thyroiditis. And I was like, I don't know what that means. Basically a lot of women, um, after they have their baby, see a huge fluctuation in their, um, their, their thyroid production. So for example, right after my, my daughter and my son were born, I lost like 30 pounds and I didn't gain it back like in a month. It was just all this weight. Um, like my hair was falling out, not like the normal four, six months later, postpartum hair loss, like coming out. Um, chunks. Yeah. Like couldn't sleep, just all the symptoms of hyperthyroidism. But with my son, because I was in the States and I had access to medical care, they could catch it. So like Mm -hmm. I had this huge shift from hyperthyroidism to hypothyroidism. And in that shift, I just um, mentally like it was horrid, just horrible. Mm -hmm. And I went on medication and that, um, that saved me really. I mean, God used that to really save my life, I think. Um, so we, we leave Central Asia for medical reasons. Um, when my son was about a year old and then we moved to Europe, uh, to continue to work with Central Asians. Um, and, uh, about, I guess a year and a half after we moved here, I had two miscarriages and, um, I, we weren't sure if we were going to have any more children. And, but after we lost the babies, we really felt like, um, we weren't quite done. And so I became pregnant with our third, um, when my son was, uh, I guess like two and a half. Okay. And my experience here was so far from my experiences in Turkey. Um, the medical care in Turkey is wonderful, you know, but I had such support and understanding and options here that I just, I didn't know were possible. Like I had a midwife and I had a gynecologist and I had a doula. I just had this incredible team of people who knew what I wanted. I had an Mm. an OB who's incredibly open, um, open open-minded and a VBAC after two C-sections here is really challenging to advocate for after one, no problem. After one, super common. After two, you're starting to make people a little bit nervous. Yes. Because for the women who are listening, statistically speaking, after one C-section, the, ch- the chances of uterine rupture are like less than 1%. What they mean by a rupture is like any kind of separation. At um, the scar. At the scar. Any, a little separation, minimal, like they're talking minimally and they include that as a rupture. So for a woman who's had two C-sections hoping to have um, a natural birth or a vaginal birth after C-section, it goes up a little bit to maybe a 1% chance. But even then it's, this, it's very similar in that it's, they're just talking about a small opening. And so I, I had reached out to so many people who had tried for VBAC. One friend who had a VBAC after two C-sections and had a massive rupture. And she still said that she didn't regret it. So to me, I was like, wow, okay, I really want to try for this. Like, this is so important to me. I want to be heard. I want people to support me and encourage me. And my midwife, that was the first step. I found this woman with dreadlocks down to her butt and just, she was just amazing. She, the thing that made the difference, like my OB in Turkey 
she is amazing. Like she did listen to me. She did sympathize with me, but unfortunately she's a product of her profession really. And what I mean by that is is like, she's taught certain things. She's um, educated in such a way that what happened to me, she, she did what she thought was the right thing to do. She did what um, she thought was the safest route. Exactly. And she, like every provider has a different level of um, risk that they are okay with. Absolutely. And um, some things because of their training, they see as more risky than they actually are. Right. Um, or right. they, or maybe they haven't had enough experience. Anytime you have any provider who hasn't had experience with something, they are more afraid of it because Absolutely. they can't control it. And that's why providers honestly love C-sections so much. So much right, right. It's predictable for them. They know exactly what is entailed. I mean, obviously there's a range in normal, but yeah. Sure. It has a lot to do with what they were exposed to in training. So mm-hmm. if they're in a place that didn't do VBACs and she didn't see a lot of VBACs in training and it's just a right. little bit with what she's done. Um, yeah. That's it's so true. It's a product of how she was trained in the environment she's in, no matter Absolutely. how supportive she may be. Absolutely. And so once I found a midwife who um, had a reputation for being supportive um, during VBACs, she and I just sort of began this journey. And I had postpartum or had prenatal care the entire time. So it was a little bit overwhelming for me. I'm like, why do I need to keep coming back? Like on my last two, I had like mm-hmm. two ultrasounds before. And then, you know, yeah. she's like, no, like you have to come like every month. I'm like, why? I don't even know what's, what's the need for that, you know? But of course I'm really grateful I did that. Um, but she and I, I felt like a lot of our time was like therapy sessions. You know, we mm. talked a lot about my past trauma, a lot of my fears, a lot of my hesitancies, how I wanted to be heard and I wanted to make the choice. I didn't want to feel, um, I didn't want to feel like, um, I was pressured into doing something or that I was guilted into doing something. I I wanted to make a choice for myself and what I thought was the best thing to do. Um, and so she was incredibly supportive. My husband, so like, I, I was so just amazed at him. He's like, honey, whatever you want. I'm like, I just can't believe like you're so supportive every, every time it was never like, no, I don't, I'm uncomfortable with this. It was, I trust you. I trust what your midwife is saying. I trust what the gynecologist is saying. And so that was, um, always just so incredible. And then from there, she and I, we found a gynecologist that she had a great partnership with who was very open-minded and who was very willing to, um, to work with uh, VBACs and somebody with um, two C-sections prior. So I met with her and it was just the most amazing meeting. I, I remember leaving that meeting thinking, like, nobody's listened to me. Com- mm-hmm. Like you're, I'm in a busy hospital with like, she's got people and she like listened to me for 45 minutes. I, I just couldn't believe it. it was amazing. And mm-hmm. she said, I need to get the support of my colleagues because we, you know, we work on an on-call system. So everybody has to agree. And they did. Everybody agreed. Of course, probably I'd say half of them were like, oh, I'm not super comfortable with it. I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, I'm. I'm willing to do it. Uh, I had a doula with me and I went, she let me go all the way to 42 weeks. Like I say, she let let me go 42 weeks. She's like, you're low risk. Why would you need to (laughs) go earlier? Yeah. I'm low risk. I've had two C-sections. I'm low risk. That's, but I am right. Like I had no complications in any of my pregnancies. And so there's no reason, you know, to try and do anything. And so, um, I did have, I had prodromal labor from 38 weeks on. And so, um, that's a long time. It was very long and it was because she was ROT. So like she was sitting in my pelvis looking like to my left hip for those of you who don't know, which is not the ideal. It is not. It's actually 
It's actually the worst because yeah. statistically speaking, it's the highest C-section rate because the baby, um, and you know, in a lot of cases, of course the baby can flip anytime, but, um, it's much harder to flip from that position. And so, yeah. And just to highlight here, head down is not all that matters. I know that's what a lot right. of people think, but there is a, a baby's head is completely round. And so, you know, think about they could be looking in that many different directions in your pelvis and there are certain directions that um, are more helpful than others when it comes to having having a a not I wouldn't say an easy birth I'll I don't know like but um in an easier birth. An easier birth. Yeah. More, I will say more ideal. And more ideal. An easier, an easier exit. Exit. Um, yes. And like I had gone and I had gone to the chiropractor. That was another thing that made a huge difference in this mm. last pregnancy. Um, was getting, you know, my daughter, we had a girl was our third in a good position. And every time I would go, I could feel her be in a great position. And within like an hour, she'd go back. So, um, and my chiropractor was far away. So I knew going into like the last weeks, like she's in a spot she doesn't want to move. Um, so I was doing spinning babies. I was, you know, doing everything that I could to like get her in a good position. And the plan was, was 42 weeks. I would go in for my appointment in the morning, be checked and if nothing was happening, I would go in that night when my gynecologist was going to be on call and we would break the waters. And that's what we were going to do to start labor. That was our agreement. And then we were going to labor for as long as, you know, we felt comfortable with. And, uh, and that was our plan. Mm. And uh, I was very comfortable with it because 42 weeks, personally, I'm not comfortable going further than that. Um, I was completely fine, uh, with the plan to break my water. Cause that was the only form of induction that I was comfortable with and that she was comfortable with. Mm. Um, because you know, with Pitocin, you increase your chance of uterine rupture, um, just with those synthetic contractions, it's too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, and I had a plan. Well, f- like in the morning, like at one o'clock in the morning, I wake up to, I can't sleep anymore. Like, so I've been having on and off contractions for weeks now. Like some, sometimes I'd have them for seven hours of like regular intense contractions. Wow. And so, but I'm like, Ooh, this is different. This is something else. And so I, um, call my friend to come watch the kids. I go to the hospital to my appointment, not thinking that I, cause I had, <laughs> they had stopped and started so many times. I'm like, I'm just going to go and she's going to tell me nothing's up and then I'm going to go back home. So I didn't bring anything to the hospital <laughs> and then my bag, nothing. And so I get to the hospital. She's like, you are four centimeters and fully effaced. I was like, Ooh. it's go time. Let's go. <laughs> yes. And so we called my midwife um, and uh, she comes to the hospital a little bit later. So it was about nine o'clock when I had my appointment. My gynecologist said, we're just going to let you be for like the next four hours or so. Just, you know, the two of you leave you alone. So we did and we got comfortable. Our friend brought our bag. Then the midwife comes and um, then the clinical midwife comes and she said, you're still only four centimeters. How, what do you want to do now? That's <laughs> what she said. I'm like, I want you to break my water because I know that this is not going to, it's going to stop because it was slowing down again. And I'm like, this is it. This is D-Day. It's going to happen. Yes. So break them. I want you to break my water. And so she broke my water and they had a tub there. Um, and I had an external monitor, like um, one that could go in the water, which was a huge blessing, mm-hmm. which is not possible at all hospitals. And so I, um, could move around and do whatever. So I'm in the water laboring and from like one o'clock to about four o'clock, nothing, no, like no progression at all. And I said, Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, they realized that my bladder's full, but I can't empty my bladder. And so I said, can you please, will you empty it for me? I can't do it. I can't. I put oil in the toilet, all those like tricks, you know, 
Yes. They didn't, they didn't work. They didn't work. So she had to, and she used a catheter. Short one didn't work. Had to use a long catheter. Just oh, remember okay. this bit of the story for later on. <laughs> so she emptied my bladder and um, she said, I think, you know, again, we need to consider a C-section. You know, the contractions are really intense, but nothing is changing and we're concerned for a rupture. And I said, okay, I understand you know, you can book it and we'll just, we'll go for a C-section. And so that was at like four o'clock. She comes back at five o'clock to check me and I have gone from four centimeters to seven in an hour. Oh, yeah. And she said, you're seven centimeters. And I look at my husband and I said, what do I do? He's like, keep going. And I I looked at the gynecologist and she's like, sure, like, let's cancel the OR. I'm like, cancel the OR like how is this happening like you're not she's like no (laughs) like why why would I be mad at you you know this is this is your birth this is your child like um so from five o'clock to seven o'clock I fully dilate and I am pushing and feel the urge to push from like seven centimeters I feel the urge to push which yeah, a little um, early. A little bit early. And so I'm trying to, like, breathe through that and, um, you know, trying my best to, like, okay, it's still early. Well, 10 centimeters comes and I'm – they – it's almost an hour of, like, I'm on my hands and knees pushing. I'm, you know, squatting and pushing and breathing through it. And I'm really – I'm tired, but I'm, I'm not terribly tired, you know. And then my um, – my midwife who has like dreadlocks down to her waist is like super hands off. Let it happen naturally. Let it go on is looking a little concerned, which to me that I knew that that would be a really big deal because she's so like, just let it be the way that it's meant to be. It's fine. It's Mm -hmm. natural. Let it be. And the gynecologist, uh, like the head gynecologist comes in, the clinical midwife is gone and the gynecologist comes in and she says, her, the baby's heart rate is every time that you're pushing is dropping really low. Well, in my mind, I'm like, well, that's normal during the pushing stage, right? Like that happens. Mm -hmm. And of course you're monitoring me because I've had two C-sections. Normally this would be fine. Um, And, but then my midwife said, but it's like, it's not, it's like below that. Like it's not okay what's happening. And it was taking a long time for her heart to like recover after each contraction. Mm. So at 10 centimeters, I've been pushing for an hour. I feel good. My husband and I look at each other and we're like, we're not comfortable anymore. And Mm. now the right decision is to have a C-section because her heart rate was um, not just irregular, but she was struggling to like recover after each one. Mm. And my midwife who had spent nine months – trusting and she knew how bad I wanted it. My gynecologist knew how bad I wanted it. I really wanted it, you know, Mm -hmm. but in the end they looked at me and they said, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? And I said, I want, I'm ready for a C-section. Like I don't want, I don't want to put my baby in danger. And I, at this point I'm like, I'm very well educated. Like I know what, I know what, you know, the threats that sometimes women hear, like, you need to have a C-section, her heart, the heart rate isn't normal. Like, I know all those things, right? But I had been given the ability to choose. I had Mm. um, a woman, this midwife who I trusted completely, who, um, if it was the wrong thing, she would have told me, you know, and after the clinic after the gynecologist left to prep the OR I looked at her again and she's like try not to push she's like you know do your best not to push and I'm like what like she's like really like I think it's time this is the right decision to make and so I felt so much peace like just complete peace and comfort and I had made a plan with my gynecologist before saying if this happens if I have to have a c-section I want a gentle c-section I want to Mm -hmm. delay cord clamping. I want to see my baby come out. If I can, I want to pull my baby out, you know, mm-hmm. all of these things. Unfortunately, my my gynecologist had, wasn't on call yet, but the gynecologist that I had was super. Like she 
we waited to find out the gender of all of our kids. And so I said, I want to be the first one to see. Please don't tell me what it is. I want to see. So like they lowered the drape down. They gently and very slowly pulled her out. And Mm. I got to see that she was a little girl. And they delayed cord clamping. And they put her immediately, like they put her on my chest. Mm. Like immediate skin to skin. And like we waited till the cord stopped pulsing and like we cut it you know it was just um it didn't end the way that I had dreamed but because I had I had the education and I also took a a childbirth education class with Stephanie you know Stephanie and with her that was like that changed so much and like she uses so many um incredible um, like hypnobirthing sort of things like meditations and, but like anchor, like God is my anchor. Mm. Like he is anchoring me to the ground and through every contraction, like he is my anchor. He is keeping me sturdy and secure through this storm because let's face it, labor can be a storm, you know? And even my midwife who believes very different things for me. She looked at me, she's like, remember your anchor, remember your anchor through every contraction. And, um, as I like, as I came out of this experience, I just remember like what I learned in Stephanie's course about being content with the outcome, knowing that like, I am not, my identity is not found in my ability to birth a child. Like, Mm -hmm to be able to push a child out of me. My identity is not found in that. And I felt so proud of myself in this last birth because like I went to 42 weeks. I like, I know some women are afraid of contractions and pushing, but I wasn't. And I, I'm so thankful. I got to feel what that felt like. I Mm -hmm. know what it's like to have the urge to push and to feel like the power of my body working to birth my child. And, uh, you know, I think, um, if I could go back, you know, a part of me wishes that I could have, I could change how my first birth happened. But another part of me, I, after years, you know, my daughter's almost eight, my oldest is almost eight. I realized that through that experience, God used that to, um, completely, um, change my, my view about birth and about women's health and about, um, so much really. And after I had my third, I went and got my certification as a childbirth educator and now, you know, now my youngest is two and we feel our family's complete and I will never experience that, like pushing mm-hmm. a baby out. And a part of me really mourns that and that's okay. It is okay mm-hmm. to feel that and to feel sad about it. But like through this experience, God has given me this incredible opportunity to come alongside women, um, specifically Central Asian women, to support them, to encourage them. Uh, I'm working hard to speak their language so they're not like me, like in this context where they have no Uh idea what's going on, Um, and to educate them about what their bodies are capable of doing and then in turn be able to share with them the even greater news about who created their bodies and who created them to be able to give birth. And so it has been so incredible and I love it and it's the best job in the world. Um, But, you know, in the time that we've spoken to each other and there's an even uh, greater hope to be able to support expat women um, in their experiences abroad, having a baby, prenatal care, postnatal care, what are my options, educating women about all of these things. Um, 
And connecting them with doulas, connecting them with childbirth educators in their context is so, so important. Like I would never want anybody to experience what I did, like that fear Mm. and the I'm hemorrhaging. I don't want anybody's husband to look at their wife and wonder, like, is this normal? Like they're changing the pad and she's bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. Like, is something going to happen? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, there's, there's a different, I mean, like you said, like three different C-sections, but your, the support that you had and the feeling that you had, um, a sick and the feeling that you had, um, you were educated and knowledgeable about what was going on. Um, all of those things totally transformed that experience for you. And I look back at the experience with fondness, not, I don't cringe or I don't start to cry thinking about the experience that I had. And that the recovery from my third C-section was the easiest, but Mm -hmm. it, it was the most intense labor, but it was the gently pulling my baby out and, mm-hmm. you know, gently, physically. So everything was so gentle. And then they left me alone. Like I went into the recovery room with dim lights and just me and my husband for hours, they left us mm-hmm. alone. And, um, it was just wonderful. And then what happens then, right? The oxytocin starts to flow and yeah. your breast milk starts to come in and all the things that are supposed to happen, happen. So it felt more natural than any of the other experiences I had. Mm, That's wonderful. I'm so glad you were able to end on that note. Me too. Um, Given all of your experiences, get that true healing. Um, Thank you so much for sharing these. I think um, it was so good for me to hear in in detail. Um, I think we've talked a few times Mm-hmm. Um, quick little snippets, but um, it was great to hear the the full stories, and just to hear your story your story of how you've grown as um, as a mom and just as a as a doula as a provider for for women. Um, walk us through um, what your work looks like right now and what you're offering. Um, how people can find you. All yeah. that stuff. So right now, because my kids are small, I have made the decision to take on doula clients um, as my husband and I feel I can manage that. And so uh, because I have a very specific focus on Central Asian women, I am I will always accept a Central Asian woman um, without hesitation. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I work as like a backup doula for um, another doula here uh, in Europe where we live. Um, and so that has been a really great learning experience for me as well, just like in the in the healthcare system here. Um, mm. So I'm working mainly as a backup for her. And then I have one client um, and a really good friend who's due soon. Um, and uh, as um, – my youngest will be going to preschool soon. I hope to be a little bit more active in finding doula clients. Mm. Um, as far as my childbirth education course goes, I would love to offer an online course, um, like a workshop, either a one day or a two day workshop, depending on how many people are interested. Um, and I, depending on the financial situation, of each family, um, the price is, um, very, very negotiable. Yeah. (laughs) Um, because this is something that like for expat women or women living, living overseas, like those types of things, like in central Asian women, like that's my heart and Mm -hmm. I'm well taken care of. And so financially it's, um, not really important right now for us. And so I hope hopefully, um, in the next couple of months to organize um, an online um, course for anybody who's interested. Um, I have one uh, one family who's interested in that here locally. And so, of course, 
because of COVID and also because of geographics, geographically online makes the most sense, of course. So, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So I have an Instagram and a Facebook page and a website and all that is accessible through my Instagram page, um, which is called New Creation Doula Care. All one all word, one. no spaces or anything like that. That's a good question. I would type in new creation doula care and then Chelsea is my name on it. And so I think it's four words, new creation doula care. I think it's four words, but I can't look right now. So Yeah, I know. Well, I was also <laughs> wanting to give a shout out to Stephanie. Uh, yeah. And is it, it's the peaceful pregnancy? So yes. Was, okay. So yeah, I, um, we both took her Stephanie's class at two very different times while we were both in the States at very different times. Um, Mm -hmm. And Stephanie is wonderful. And she has gone on to create the peaceful pregnancy, which is not so much childbirth education. Right. It is. It's more of, um, like you said, like I kind of like to compare it to a Christian version of um, like hypnobirthing. hypnobirthing. Yeah. So yeah. So she's focusing on giving you tools to like as a comfort measure um, to labor well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made all the difference. It really made all the difference. Yes. And it's, uh, it's kind of like a mental spiritual training. Mm-hmm. And I really think like if you are interested in that, I mean, I would, as soon as you get pregnant. Like this is something you can start doing and building those rhythms into your life. Mm -hmm. And what I love about it is it's not, um, just for women who are wanting an unmedicated birth. Mm -hmm. Um, it is for women who are wanting any type of birth, but if you want to just have a peaceful mindset, um, as you approach birth, whether that's medicated, unmedicated cesarean, um, I just think I have gone through the course, not as a, um, not as somebody who was expecting, but I, she let me go through the course just, um, as something maybe to recommend to people. And I loved it. And I knew, I don't think we're going to have any more children, but if we do, <laughs> um, it's definitely something I would revisit just to, just to get those really good rhythms. Um, cause it was just such a beautiful class. So, wonderful. um, I, I will tag her in as well. So I'll probably just tag, um, your page when okay. I post this on Instagram and then I'll tag her page as well. Um, so those of you listening, um, if you can just go to my Instagram page after this is goes live, you will see this post and then um, those will be there if you need quick access that way. Um, last question, something I always ask, and I think you've answered this um, pretty well, but what are some ways that you wish that you had been supported practically? We've talked about the education piece a lot, but maybe Mm -hmm. practically um, in any of your births, um, whether that's people that were on the ground in the city you were birthing in, um, people that were your teammates um, in the original country before you traveled, Mm -hmm. um, anything. What are some ways that either people on the ground or people that were sending you out, so maybe back in the States, um, ways either they supported you well or you wish they would have known to be able to support you well? Mm. Well, I think in terms of um, the people that lived in my country, everybody was incredibly supportive. Like there's this camaraderie that you um, develop with each other just in general living in a harder place. And so Mm. I felt – and all of like there were so many of us who were pregnant around the same time or – so we had each other and that was really beautiful. Um, And I always felt a lot of um, community with them. So with that said, like I left that community to (laughs) go out of country to have my baby. So Mm -hmm. that was challenging because um, a lot of times when we move overseas, you know, I personally, I'm not very close to my family. I'm close to my my husband's family in terms of like regular conversation. And so I – um, find a lot of, I guess, closest with the people, uh, in the city that I live with. And so, um, and because my family couldn't come, I mean, it's really far and it's really expensive. And so nobody Mm. came. Uh, so it was just us. So I think, um, I wish that I, 
Um, maybe I wish I would have done a better job maybe communicating to my family, like, I need you to come, or mm. we're going to have a baby, can you save to come, or hey, can we, you know, split the cost, or, you know, I think I, yeah. I would have been more, um, I guess, persistent in saying, like, I need you to come, but I didn't think I needed them, so mm. that was that was my own fault, you know? Yeah. Um, in terms of like the city that I delivered in, I really, really wish there were more options or that I would have known of more options like mm. midwifery care or birthing centers or home births or, um, or maybe being able to travel to a different country because you were just they, going with what everybody that, that was in yeah. your circle, this is what they did. And so that's mm-hmm. just kind of what you did. You didn't yeah. question the, the system. Exactly. So that goes back to like education, right? Like knowing what your options are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but within our expat community and culture, making sure that um, we're asking the right questions and that we're mm-hmm. willing to advocate for ourselves and that we're willing to push a little bit um, to find the right fit for us. Mm. Like, and you've even said like, you know, the peaceful pregnancy is for everybody, medicated, unmedicated, C-section. I, I advocate for women choosing like what they want. If you want an epidural, if you want Pitocin, go for it, girlfriend. You just need mm-hmm. to have support, like support and education and someone with you. It's about the experience, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And I, um, yeah, I think uh, knowing and then also people finding better options for women is important. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think too, just like one thing I was thinking as you were sharing, if you live in a major landing city, so I know like Istanbul is a major landing city for births. South Africa can be a major landing city. Mm -hmm. Um, Nairobi, Kenya, uh, Thailand, I think is, um, a major land, like, um, mm-hmm. major landing country. Um, there's just like certain countries in the world that a lot of people, if you live in harder places will relate locate to. Mm-hmm. If you live in one of those cities and you know, there's a lot of people coming in, like try to be proactive and, mm-hmm. um, support them, especially if they happen to be, um, within your same network. Mm-hmm. Um, these families are landing. And I think um, I'm shout out to the taking root podcast. Um, they mentioned this in their pregnancy episode, like just help them out, like offer to watch their kids or, you know, they know no one they're landing and they know no one. And so, mm-hmm. and they're trying to have a baby. So right. um, we know you're all busy. You have, you have ministry, you have work, you have life. Um, but if you have an extra few minutes to watch their kids so they can go to an appointment or bring them a meal or um, whatever that looks like, um, just love on them in any extra way that you can. And I will say that we, we were able to connect to some folks there. And after there were a lot of lovely people who brought meals and who mm. were who were really supportive. And so it was during the birth, I think that was, we felt the loneliest because nobody could really be there. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think trying to connect to those people beforehand is probably better. Yeah. Definitely helpful. Yep. That's good. Good forethought. Um, well, great. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for sharing everyone. Um, I hope you enjoy these stories and please go check out um, her Instagram page. And through that, you can get to her, um, her website to see what she offers if you're in Europe and are looking um, maybe for someone who can offer some childbirth education or doula care if you live in her city. Um, but yeah, and please contact her if you are interested in a virtual because you're doing an like a live virtual education, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if that is what you're interested in, um, please connect with her. Um, is there anything else you would like to to share before we um, say s- goodbye for now? No, I don't think so. Thank you for listening to my stories, and I hope I didn't 
give too many details. I know I love details. So, yeah. Well, um, we're birth nerds, so I know, right? Territory. <laughs> I loved it, but I'm sure everyone else. I'm sure just from your multiple experiences, um, it'll just be able to help a lot of women as they navigate just different kind of circumstances and that is the expat life. So I'm I'm really thankful for your insight um, yeah, and I what that so. brings. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much again for having me. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. If you find this podcast beneficial, please feel free to share it. And if you have time, an extra two seconds, if you wouldn't mind popping on your platform of choice and leaving a review. Um, the more reviews we get, the more um, families can see this podcast and the more accessible it is. Um, so thank you guys in advance for taking the time to leave um, those reviews and we will see you next time with another birth story. Bye. You can find me online at theglobalbirthcoach.com. On social media, you can find me on Pinterest, Instagram, and Facebook at The Global Birth Coach. On The Global Birth Coach Facebook page, there is an affiliated closed group called The Virtual Village, and that's where I'm active most often. This group is designed to be a place where expat families can come together to encourage each other and share resources as they navigate pregnancy, birth, and postpartum abroad. Come and join us. We would love to have you there.